Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Pals, and this episode, I'm joined by freelance film critic Andrew Fraser, where we're discussing Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff, and this is Popcorn Pals, a popcorn podcast with Lee and Tim spinoff where I'll be joined by a rotation of movie-loving legend guest hosts to discuss the latest and greatest new big screen releases. It's the same salty fun, but with some new flavors, and I'm absolutely delighted to have one of my friends join me today, a triple threat in arts and entertainment, a freelance film critic film and TV production chameleon, and a Kylie Minogue music video star, Andrew Fraser. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good, Tim. How are you? Thanks for having me. And that was an amazing introduction. I'll take it. Thank you. You're welcome. You can have that one for free. Uh, For our (laughs) listeners, I think they might like, what do you mean a Kylie Minogue music video star? Can you just give us an abridged version of what that experience was like and and your role in a Kylie Minogue music video? I mean, it feels very generous to say that. I mean, glorified extra is probably more (laughs) accurate. But um, yeah, I mean, that was quite a while ago now, but it was about like 10 years ago when I was dancing and Kylie Minogue came back to town to my hometown of Melbourne and her hometown as well. And um, somehow Mm. through, you know, various people, I ended up in this video with her and that led to a subsequent performance at, you know, the greatest award show of all time, the Logies. And yeah, that was my (laughs) brief experience with Kylie who was lovely and, you know, that was the peak and it's been downhill ever since. (laughs) Oh, you know what? We all have a, a peak moment in our lives, and uh, look, look, we'll we'll help push you uphill, Andrew. But something that you that you did quite recently, and I I stumbled across it in my dad's house, and I was listening to ABC Radio, and there was a a very familiar voice that I heard. Now, you recently featured on ABC Radio to talk movies. What was that gig like, and what movies did you 
did you review while you're on the airways? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm very lucky to be on the rotating group of critics on ABC Drive with Richard Glover. And on that episode, I was doing, I think, a double feelings feature of uh, You Hurt My Feelings, the Nicole Holof Center movie, and No Hard Feelings, the um, Jennifer Lawrence starring mm. raunchy comedy. And yeah, that's like, it's great to be able to chat film whilst also kind of working, I guess, in the industry and get these opportunities to talk to people like yourself and be a film lover as much as it is fun to be part of the industry. It's even more fun to talk about movies and great movies, especially. Yeah, of course. And I think uh, this conversation is going to be a good one. So let's travel to the American Southwest, Andrew, and get on with the show. And we're going to talk Asteroid City. We follow a writer on his world-famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to small rural Asteroid City to compete in a junior stargazing event only to have his worldview disrupted forever. Asteroid City is directed by Wes Anderson from a screenplay by Anderson and from a story by Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola. Now, this is where I might need to have like a a toilet break or a drink break or something, because as in any Wes Anderson movie, the starring lineup is exceptional. So this is not an exhaustive list, but an exhausting one nonetheless. So the film stars Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks is in there. We have Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Jack Ryan, Adrian Brody, Steve Carell. This is where I need to take a break. Maya Hawke. Hong Chow, Willem Dafoe, Matt Dillon, Rupert Friend, Hope Davis, Liev Schreiber. And let's just throw in a sprinkle of Aussiness in there with some Margot Robbie <laughs> to cap it off. I don't think there's anyone left in Hollywood. Well, I know. I mean, it's because it, this movie, I believe, was filmed during, I guess, whatever the height of their pandemic was in some sometime in 2021. So COVID was still a, a whole thing here. So, I mean... It's not to say that Wes Anderson can never pull a cast, but I guess all these people weren't really doing all that much because, you know, making movies is always an impossible miracle that they get made, but even more so for the last couple of years. But I don't know how he how he does it. Like, he's, it's not like Wes Anderson sort of became this filmmaker everyone wants they stumble over to be in. Like, he's always been able to pull big tickets in his movies. What do you think? Is it about Wes Anderson that people just throw themselves at his projects? I mean, I think it's interesting with Wes Anderson because, you know, whilst, like you said, so many high-profile actors have been a part of his movies, they don't necessarily uh, live and die on the performances. You know, obviously Wes Anderson is so recognised for his elaborate production design and the incredible craft that goes into his movies. And I think some of his harsher critics have accused him of, you know, using actors sort of as props in his models that he sort of created (laughs) in these worlds. Mm. So it is interesting that he attracts so many people, but I think it is his ability to construct such a strong, fantastical world that actors want to be a part of it. They want to experience what it's like to live inside Wes Anderson's mind, whether it's for a couple of hours or a day or however long it takes them to shoot their roles. And in this film in particular, there are so many actors like the many that you listed off that, you know, many of them only appear very briefly in what I imagine didn't take Mm. all that long to shoot. But, you know, I don't think anyone would pass up the opportunity to be in a Wes Anderson film purely to experience what that set must be like to see the level of detail that goes into his work. Yeah, 100%. And just to build on your point, there's like, he has this real ability as a filmmaker and as as a writer, as a director, 
to weave in multiple voices, but have them all come together so coherently in some sort of like orchestrated magic. You know, he's working with a lot of actors, a lot of characters, a lot of characters, some that say more than others or have more to say, have more to reflect back onto yourself, onto the audience for you to maybe see something in yourself there. But the lure for for an actor is definitely there because it's just a, yeah a fun couple of days on set to be quirky AF. Some of his characters <laughs> are really quirky. They come in, say something bizarre, and get out, and then they'll be in his next movie in two years and do something kind of cool totally. again. And it's a testament to Wes's style in that you know he pulls mm. so many different actors who come from various backgrounds and uh, whether it's theatrical training or lots of theater experience, or they're known for their movie stardom yet it speaks to Mm. him and his singular talent in that he's able to get everyone on the same wavelength and you know, Oh, that's a Wes Anderson style performance. It really speaks to how carefully he's curated his own artistic ability. Help me understand what your relationship with Wes Anderson films are. Like I can obviously said, you know, we're friends and we talk about movies all the time, but I feel like you are a real big fan. Have you always been, do you think he stumbled a, a few times or is he can't, do you think you consider him as quite a consistently good filmmaker in his filmography? You know, it's funny. Like I, I do like Wes Anderson. I think generally, I mean, I like anyone who can cultivate a really strong theatrical or filmic voice. And he obviously does that in spades, but I don't know if I would really consider myself a huge fan of his necessarily in the sense that you know when I think of the great modern filmmakers he wouldn't necessarily be the first or even the second that comes to mind Mm. but he's had an unmistakable impact on film and I am grateful for how unique his place in especially the current sort of landscape is Mm. but I think in recent years I've felt maybe a bit cooler on him whether that's influenced by a sort of general consensus which maybe you know has gone a bit off or people feel like he repeats himself or whatever the criticism is, but there are definitely films of him that I really love. I I really enjoy the Royal Tenenbaums and Mm. really enjoyed Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest. I maybe wasn't as infatuated with the French Dispatch or Isle of Dogs, which are his most recent output, but I am really excited to talk about this film. What about you, Tim? How do you feel about Wes's uh, recent work or his previous work? I'm a huge fan of him. And there's a few facets to that. Like I think his visual stamp is just so distinctive and just so divine. It's just, I just love getting lost in what he puts on the screen. And the only way that that can actually be elevated so much is how he writes his characters because he does something really special with them. Like he, he's quite an, he's quite an awkward filmmaker. Like he writes a lot of his characters, especially like the protagonists in really like awkward but endearing ways and then you have these really heightened characters that elevate the really bombastic you know you think Adrian Brody in this movie like he's he's a big larger than life character but then you have like a Steve Carell who's who's just this you know weird hotel manager with uh vending machines of wonder you know you can buy property off this vending machine or you can (laughs) uh order martinis like I don't know they're just little things that I always take away from from his work and it's just nice to have nuanced filmmaking, consistent nuanced filmmaking to go into, make you go away and, and think about it because we, you kind of alluded to the fact that within this current landscape, and I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're referring to things like superhero movie fatigue and all those big Hollywood blockbusters that are Definitely. just 
they're spending $300 million on a steaming pile of fucking shit. And I'm sick of, sm- I'm sick of smelling. You said it too. Right. I'm sick of smelling like the burning bag of poo at my front door. That is, <laughs> that is Hollywood. Uh, they just keep lighting it. They're, just, they're not learning the lesson. So it's just really refreshing that, you know, I think Wes Anderson is really reliable as a filmmaker to offer something really, really quite fun. I'm going to agree that I don't think the French dispatch quite hit the mark. It's always hard for like an anthology, anything anthology to hit the dizzy heights equally because the stories just stand alone and some are stronger than others. And I think they had quite a weak middle part, which is so hard to say as a fan of like Francis McDormand and Timothy Chalamet, who I believe were part of that weaker story within the middle. But his movies are quite episodic anyway, because you've just got so many little bit players. So it's just how he marinates them all together. And I think Asteroid City does does work in that sense really, really well. I, I hate using the term like, oh, return to form or whatever, because I don't think he's ever really stumbled that hard. No. There are just movies you like more than others, right? And even, you know, in a Wes Anderson film that maybe you connect to less on an emotional level or maybe you're not that taken with, there's always such a high level of craft on display, whether it is in the production design or the score or the performances, Mm. um, that, you know, even a lesser Wes Anderson film is a great experience nonetheless and there's always something to take away. So I'm definitely very grateful that we have him working as an artist. Let's dive into this movie a little bit. So what I think that Asteroid City does brilliantly is balance like two distinct worlds in essence a play within a play now that is definitely something that isn't new to filmmaking the whole meta play within a play sort of oh we're we're watching this piece of art be creative but then it's it's reflected in this film sort of world that that this movie delivers do you like that trope in movies, were you nervous going into this when it was starting like that? And you think, oh my gosh, it's another play within a play sort of thing. I'm a little <laughs> bit over this. I mean, I know some people don't really like an inside baseball kind of film, you know, filmmakers making movies about movies or, you know, similar forms. But as someone yeah. who, you know, does have a big interest in those things, you know, both the behind the scenes aspects and, you know, just enjoying things as an audience member, I was very instantly interested and it's definitely a genre that I naturally gravitate towards to more. So I can also admit that I'm in the market for this film and was kind of from the get-go. <laughs> Though going into it, I think like I don't really yeah. know where my expectations were at because I don't feel like I watched too much like promotional material and really just wanted to go in as blind as possible. And very quickly, I was getting quite excited by what he was doing and particularly the way that it was not just a play within a play, but I think it was like a a television program about the making mm. of a play about a play, you know, like there were, there were even more layers to it, which I was just was interested for a man who, or an artist who was so interested in form, you know, the creation of something. And I was excited by how he would approach that. And he's already been kind of working towards that, I guess, in the recent films, but yeah. this felt like a even mm. extra layer was being added to it. Yeah, I really liked that extra layer. And maybe just to give some context to the listener, you've either watched the film or or you're about to. So we open in a television studio soundstage. It's in the 1950s. And we have the host who's played by Brian Cranston, who's just a wonderful voice actor, isn't he? He's just so perfect for this sort of like thing. He's amazing. He's there physically, of course, but, you know, he's just got this tone to how he, how he kind of presents dialogue it's just no one like it and he says tonight's program takes us 
backstage to witness firsthand the creation start to finish of a new play mounted on the American stage. And then he continues, uh, this is the sort of layers about how the film part of it comes in. Asteroid City does not exist. It is an imaginary drama created expressively for this broadcast, but together they present an authentic account of the inner workings of a modern theatrical production. So I just love how Wes Anderson kind of thrusts you into like this witty kind of pretentious sort of world. And he's like, we're going to play and double in all these things. It's a play, it's a movie, but it's not really a movie. And they're going to experience these characters who are both actors and characters of this movie and experience this moment in time of this, you know, alphabetic soup of, of voices uh, in a really wonderful quirky ways as Wes Anderson always does. And you were once, once a theater kid, Andrew, and you're a, you were a dancer and a trained actor. <laughs> I think once a theater kid, always a theater kid in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's it. That's right. What's it like seeing a film that dramatizes the process? Like, do you view these things? Like, do you find them funny, triggering, relatable, or like <laughs> all of the above when you're seeing like a, a piece of art come to life in this sort of genre this sort of context i mean i think this movie is so interesting because it's kind of working on so many layers and as you sort of mentioned one of them is this i guess oh gosh how do you describe it section of the film where it's about the process of making something and in this instance they're making a play and there's sort of mm. this analysis of you know why do we sort of create and um there's a lot about actors and there's sort of a riff on the uh, formation of the actor's studio, which, you know, came out of New York in the fifties and produced, you know, the likes of yes. you know great acting teachers like Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler. They were the founders and Ellen Burst and Al Pacino, all these great actors um, came out of there. And so mm. that really took me by surprise in the film. I had no idea that element was sort of going to be in it, but it was interesting to me because it was so, that style of acting really, you know, changed things. It was sort of this movement from a much more arch style of acting, which I guess Wes Anderson does tend to operate more in into a more quote unquote, you know, real raw emotional style of acting. And so for me, it was mm -hmm. sort of like this, it offered this proposition from Anderson of how he sort of maybe deals with criticisms of people saying like, oh, you know, your work is, it's cold, it's distant, it's, you know, it's overly designed, we can't relate to it. Where's the, you know, human emotion? And I felt like, you know, by making it quite literally about actors acting and kind of adding this meta element. Mm. It became this really interesting commentary on, you know, his role as an artist and how he approaches these things, you know, whether it's aiming for a sense of control or not. And I don't know, I found that, I guess, yes, as someone who has had some experience performing or has studied these things, I, I found it super fascinating. I thought he portrayed it in a really unique way that I don't think I've really seen before. And um, yeah, again, that, selfishly aligns with my interests but I think yeah he's doing it in at such a way that I don't think you need to you know necessarily know anything about the actor's studio to get something out of this it's about you know the way that everyone is a performer in a sense in their own life and you know we are always playing roles in a way in our need to kind of get through the day yes right <laughs> that's very very true uh, I think that one of the things I like so much about this, and it's to build on that sort of criticism of Wes Anderson and his cold characters, but in this, I found them quite complex and layered because of the meta-ness of it, because in its simplest form, like I love how like the story of Asteroid City in, in that American Southwest town in 1955 with the gigantic media crater and the observatory nearby, you know, all, all that sort of that visual tapestry. But you have just 
this moment in time where a group of people are passing through this place and they have a shared collective wild experience. But it's also more than that because it's a surprisingly intimate look at the lives of these people that are dealing with their own stuff within that is also the actors playing those characters and what they're going through as well. You know, the whole backstage look. So I found myself quite drawn to a lot of these characters and what, what they're dealing with, because one of the, one of the main themes that it's going through is the the theme of grief and how you deal with that and communicate that to your children who have lost their mother. And it's, you think, oh my gosh, how, how could this play out this way? But I mean, until you go through something like that, you don't know how you're going to react or how that's going to manifest in your own life. And this is just a little, little taste of how a character with, with their children is like dealing with grief. But of course, within this just fantastical sort of setting and, and other series of events that just, you know, elevate it to new heights. Yeah, definitely. And I think that is what is sort of interesting about this movie is that, you know, you can really take it on a sort of surface level as, you know, being quite literally about, you know, these plays and this, the story of these people. But yeah, to me, I think it was an interesting sort of commentary from Anderson on a couple of levels. I think like you sort of alluded to the ways that Mm. we sort of get to know a bunch of these characters who are in a sense characters in a play as much as they are characters in the film. And, you know, we get a sense of, you know, underneath their sort of facades, they're all dealing with something yet, whether it is the loss of a loved one or anxiety about the future or, you know, being good enough or all these very relatable human sort of emotions. There is that element of, you know, at the same time, these are actors playing these roles, like they're playing people who are going through that as well as being famous people that we recognize playing actors who are playing, you know, again, it just goes round and round in circles. But I think to me, it was sort of really moving because that combined with Wes Anderson's overly curated design, it sort of really spoke to that notion of, you know, no matter how hard you try to be ahead of the game or try and get control of your life, you know, things will come in and disrupt that. Um, much in the way that, Mm. you know, you want your life to exist in this perfect symmetrical frame. You want to be able to know where you're going and have the answers to everything at the right time. But it's always disrupted by something, you know, whether it is a death or it is, you know, disappointment or failure and all these sort of things, you know, a literal asteroid or, you know, without spoiling Mm. the film, you know, something coming down from space. I think, yeah, it, it was a surprisingly moving film to me in that regard. And I was struck by how sort of poignantly that was all weaved through, especially because, as you sort of said before, the film, you know, was shot during COVID and there is an Mm. element of quarantining that happens in the film without necessarily giving too much away. So it was interesting on that level of being a sort of comment on COVID without quite literally having to address it. But, you know, how in that time that was so disrupted, how people, you know, were stuck in one place, kept inside their homes, how they all had to kind of relinquish control or find connection and find beauty in other ways. Mm. And I was really taken by how, you know, Wes was able to bring his style and his point of view to that. You know, he'd never sacrificed any of the aesthetic, beautiful things that interest him. All the quirk was still there, but it felt really modern and fresh to me. And it felt like Mm. such a unique take on a collective experience that we've all had, you know, yeah, so beautifully put. Yeah, I don't think I'd really joined the dots, but it makes so much sense. It's like maybe that could be just another subconscious way that people are connecting with this movie so much is 
just that shared experience of that quarantining over, over, a, over a singular event that basically shut the world down so instantly and that we all just had to find our feet, but everyone's lives had to keep going. And there was a point in time where everyone's dealing with stuff. And then all of a sudden, everyone around the world is dealing with one thing at the same time. That's an extraordinary phenomenon that we went through recently. And it's even more poignant in the fact that this film was still being made a couple of years ago during the height of all of that. I believe Bill Murray's not in this movie. It's like the first Wes Anderson movie Bill Murray hasn't been in since the mid-90s. Yeah, I think since Rushmore, right? Yeah. He he contracted COVID and all the protocols at the time meant that he had to give up his role and and end up going to Steve Carell. So once I learned that, I was like, oh, um, I wonder, of course, like Bill Murray would have just been perfect in that role. But I'm also really glad that Steve Carell had some fun with that one. But it just, yeah, it's it's that sort of quarantine thing. It's so true. I think what Wes Anderson does really well thematically and with characters is he doesn't need to go far for his story to go far. You know, you basically stay put in very siloed environments. You've got Asteroid City, which is this beautiful self-contained town. And we'll talk about the visual stuff a little bit later. But then you have also the backstage world of the actors and maybe a few other set pieces like a train with a conversation and things like that. But it's, it's quite contained storytelling, which he's always somehow excelled at because there's just so, so much to take in so much to enjoy um, within those set pieces. He doesn't need to make like this big grand exploration around the world. It's just, it's like, these are characters here now in this space and you just, you never want to leave. A lot of the commentary around movies these days is that they're so long. And I'm, I'm sure you can agree in some <laughs> instances. Uh, and this is a neat hour and 45 minutes, but I don't know how you felt. I would have happily loved to have stayed in Asteroid City for, for much, for much longer. Definitely. I mean, I think like, I appreciate how much he crams into, you know, a really swift runtime, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think yeah. just always with his films, I think, you know, that's why they warrant repeat watching is because they're so packed to the brim Mm. with detail um you find new intricacies in the performances or you find another aspect of a prop that you maybe hadn't picked up on the first time and i really think that speaks to his level of care and craftsmanship there's a lot of films maybe that are coming out that you know you don't necessarily feel a need to revisit but i haven't been able to watch this again since i saw it but i am really looking forward to doing that because i think i'll be able to make even more sense of perhaps the myriad of things that he was Mm. sorting through here because i really do think there was a lot at play and that's what really struck me on the first view is that i kept kind of going oh wow he's really like throwing everything at the wall here and kind of landing a lot of it, at least for me, it really felt that way. So yes, I think it's a testament to his sort of skill as a director and a writer that many of us will return to his films or have returned to his previous films and we'll find more things to enjoy. Oh, definitely. Such a good point. I find the rewatch value of his movies quite high, some some more than others. And I haven't seen all his filmography. I'm really annoyed at myself that I still have not seen Moonrise kingdom yeah i think you would really like it because it's one of those films that i just hear so much positive noise about i'm like gosh i've really i've really got to pull my finger out of it. <laughs> it's like 10 years old now like how the hell did that happen yeah that's i think it was a 2012 that. release wasn't it <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> yes i know it's wild lincoln you miss a decade yeah it's crazy but i mean he churns out movies really fast and it's actually quite 
quite astonishing because they are so detailed. They're so detailed and whimsical and wonderful and eccentric and they all have something to say and, and all the characters just, they're always new and fresh. And even though a lot of the, the performers come back, they're like, oh, I want to do this again. Like, I feel like that they work on extending their range as actors in Wes Anderson movies because they kind of go along the spectrum of Hmm. quirky characters, if you will. I don't know, is quirky character, like, is that too simple to call Wes Anderson characters quirky? Would you you use another word like complex or something? I don't know. I just, quirky seems endearing and it seems to work for me. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think like definitely the shorthand of that is totally fair. And I think everyone knows what that sort of means, particularly in that he kind of really came up in that like late 90s, early 2000s sort of style where you know, that almost Mm. indie pop kind of era that was really popular and, you know, that all got sort of butchered. But I think, like, it, um, (laughs) it's interesting because, like, it's such a popular trend at the moment. Like, you know, prior to Asteroid City coming out, there was, like, that big TikTok sort of thing where everyone was doing, like, a this is a day in a Wes Anderson movie or, like, my life is a Wes Anderson movie. And to me, that actually only highlighted how irreplaceable he kind of is as an artist or how singular he is because everything Mm. that everyone identified... Mm as traits of him, you know, they are correct in that, yes, he loves symmetry and yes, he has the sort of like jangly scores that he enjoys and Mm -hmm. everything is curated in beautiful pastels. But watching people try and sort of do their idea of, yeah, Wes Anderson only highlighted to me how, yeah, incredible he is and (laughs) like how much craft and effort it takes to make the frames as beautiful as he makes. But also the frames are filled with story and he knows that, you know, Mm. a shot is communicating multiple things. It's not just, oh, person stands in the middle of the frame wearing a beret. You know, like it's a very reductive (laughs) uh, way. You know, at the end of the day, it's all like a silly trend. Mm. It doesn't really matter, but... You know, when I there were videos of people talking about, oh, it's so easy, and it, it just sort of made me feel frustrated. Not only for oh, him, but also okay, just man. the amazing um, craftspeople, the costume designers and cinematographers and set dressers that he works with yes. um, repeatedly. And I think the fact that he has so many repeat mm. collaborators obviously speaks to his, you know, temperament as an artist. He must be great to work with if people keep coming back. So yeah, yeah, it's um, I think the quirkiness is, you know, like. It's definitely fair, but I also think there is a lot kind of going under the surface. And I think those repeated themes of, you know, his interest in rebellious kids and overbearing or absent parental figures or, you know, the death of Mm. a significant other or a parent, um, you know, having that always bubbling underneath the, you know, beautiful aesthetics kind of adds that extra layer to his work. I think that makes it so compelling. Absolutely. Look, Andrew, I don't know about you, but I will not let TikTok ruin (laughs) (laughs) West <laughs> <laughs> there is much that is great about tiktok but yes the seeing the ai generated wes anderson videos was yeah drawing me closer to death i think <laughs> <laughs> didn't the didn't the cast on the um campaign trail do their own like wes anderson sort of shtick on the press junket yeah like- I, I mean good for them you know they've got to cash that check you gotta <laughs> do what you gotta do but uh yeah i don't know i wasn't so keen on that what do yeah. i know it goes yeah it just goes to show without where's behind the the camera or the iphone you're never gonna get the, <laughs> the beautiful product that we're also sport with every time he turns out a film no unfortunately not is there anything else about the story or the script that 
you, you'd love to talk about or do we want to move on to talk about some of the characters and performances in the film? I think we can definitely talk about some of the performances. I mean, I was really taken with Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson's dynamic, which I mm. think, you know, is a central oh, thread um, throughout the film. Their relationship is a really compelling element. And I, I really enjoyed um, mm. particularly Scarlett Johansson in this um, this style. I think her qualities as an actor yeah. really lent well to Wes's sort of vision of her and I I loved her sort of throwback acting style which recalled you know people like Elizabeth Taylor or Marilyn Monroe which I think you know were very deliberate references but she really uh, embodied that period style of acting in a beautiful way but Mm. still with the sort of depth and modernity that I guess maybe she's more known for but yeah I was really really taken with her and the relationship between her character and Jason Schwartzman I found really compelling. What about you? Were there any standout performances for you? Oh, I, I think that, that the two handers that they had throughout the film really drew me in and they drew me in, in many ways. And as I referenced before, like I would have loved to have stayed in asteroid city for longer. And it really was to just sit by the window frames of their two characters, just, just having a conversation, you know, her and her in the bath mm. and him, you know, developing film, lighting his, lighting his, I just, I was obsessed with how he, the physicality of him lighting his pipe. I just thought it was brilliant. It was just this character quirk. Um, there's that word again, that, that, that he brought, <laughs> that Jason Sportsman brought in. And I think Scarlett Johansson had a similar sort of approach to her character where, you referenced movie stars like Elizabeth Taylor and Marilyn Monroe, and there were some of my notes as well, not only in her like vocal work and delivery, but also just the physicality and how she just centered herself in the space. But within the framing of a Wes Anderson movie, like it was just the perfect marriage of a modern popular and very talented actress drawing inspiration from old Hollywood. And part of that, has to do with also it being set in in the 50s as well I think just as a tone and an aesthetic it was just so wonderful to see Scarlett Johansson really excel within I mean Wes Anderson's kind of own genre isn't it and I, and I really hope that she um, discovers more of that ability as an actress in more films with his it's it's honestly one of my favorite performances of hers I was just so drawn to I was just so connected to her performance. It was just amazing. Yeah, I agree. She was really great. I also really enjoyed, I mean, a lot of the performances, I mean, a lot of them, as we sort of alluded to before, are quite brief, but mm. there's a one scene with Margot Robbie as well that I, I did think yes. was really strong and I thought was some really nice work from her. It, it's interesting. Like, I don't know if you've seen, um, speaking of uh, Margot Robbie, but I've seen a few people online sort of say that Asteroid City in many ways really is, Barbenheimer and that it yeah. combines many of the elements of Barbie. Yes. You know, not to mention Margot Robbie being a part of the film, but also the sort of candy colored mm. aesthetics with, you know, elements of science and, you know, questions of mortality and in the way that Oppenheimer mm. deals uh, with it. And so I sort of thought, yeah, then there needs to be the triple feature of Barbie, Oppenheimer <laughs> and Asteroid City. Because I think, yeah, this this movie really does explore a lot of things. And yeah, it is filled with a lot of great performances. It also it also made me think of, I wish I could remember which film critic I read sort of mentioned this because um, I mm. would love to give them the credit, but they made a really good point about, you know, a lot of people I guess have n- made note of and as you did at the beginning about how many famous people are in this movie or, or actors mm. that we're just very familiar with that are high profile. And this critic who I, yes, wish I knew who it was, 
mm-hmm. made a great point about it sort of creates this uncanny feeling of in terms of representing a life that you know, for many of us, the people in our life are like the movie stars of our life. They're the significant people that we know our lives are populated with, you know, people that we have this long-term established relationships with much in the way that we do have these sort of parasocial relationships to movie stars and that we've also known them our whole lives without actually fully knowing them. And I sort of thought that was quite sweet, especially in terms of how much this movie sort of is dealing with, you know, what I guess a life means having that sort of effect of, you know, having a starry cast in the way that we all have a cast list of our own lives, I thought was like a really interesting way of looking at the film. And it really put into perspective a lot of the things that I think he is exploring with a, you know, a big acting troupe and these sort of ways he loves to have a repeated troupe of actors in his own movies. And yeah, it just really sparked my brain off in thinking about like, yeah, you know, we do sort of have people who we routinely collaborate with or people that come in and out of our life but they still hold a really special place and yeah I think the film yeah has these emotional resonances that maybe people wouldn't necessarily expect just because they get so uh, fixated by the aesthetics and the design of his film Mm. filmography but yeah I thought that was really great and a testament to how beautiful all the performances are calibrated in this movie. If you ever join the dots as to who that film critic is i'd love to read more of their take on that yes i'll have to look it up but it's such a good point i mean it, it just leans on that whole phenomenon about when a performer dies or, a, or an actor dies and how the world just kind of mourns together it's bizarre but it's so true because you they're part of your life because you have these like emotional connections with their, their work whether it's like nostalgic and or you revisit them over the years and yeah it's it's such an interesting phenomenon one of the other actors in this who I quite love seeing show up in Wes Anderson movies. I loved his work, Jeffrey Wright's work in the French dispatch, uh, especially. Definitely. And he, I just love in, in this film, he plays a general, how he leans into the theatrics of his character. There's just a really great uh, speech that he gives to, to the audience. That's just, yeah, really quite fun. And Jeffrey Wright just le- leans into it big time. I, I would love to see Wes Anderson direct his actors, because I think a lot of the, their performance can come out of the words, right, and and what they're looking around. But I really am curious to he- to know, like, what are the sort of acting notes that Wes Anderson gives his actors for them to go to these places? Because it's just a dream. Yeah, totally. I, I'd be really curious about that as well. I mean, I think it helps probably that he has such a recognisable style that I'm sure many of the actors, mm. like, come to the piece kind of already knowing, okay, well, I've seen his other movies, I kind of get what he goes for but yes it would be really fascinating to see what those really particular points of direction are and yes the jeffrey wright Mm. shout is great he has such a commanding screen presence it was lovely to see him again uh speaking of commanding a screen presence i loved jake ryan who played wood woodrow in this film he's like that teenage brainiac the the kid he's there to you know present his uh science experiment or whatever I found him really endearing, super intelligent, of course, like really sweet. Uh, he held his own against a sleuth of all those of all these big names that we're listing here. Yeah, a really, really nice, prominent character in the movie. I don't know what I was expecting in terms of who's going to be the lead, but I would almost say he's kind of like the third lead against uh, Schwartzman and and Johansson. I guess. Yeah, I totally. Say. Him and um, all those other um, sort of younger actors, the kid actors, if you will, um, Mm. were really great, each with sort of a unique 
screen presence. But yes, he definitely was perfectly cast opposite Jason Schwartzman. That was a completely believable dynamic between the two of them. Yes. Um, yeah, we haven't even mentioned Tom Hanks, who's a big addition to the Wes Anderson cinematic oh, yeah, I know universe. Him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, it was really great seeing him working in this way too. He's sort of in such an mm. interesting point in his career where he can really kind of Isn't do he? anything. And it's been quite interesting in this sort of last 10 years watching him sort of, you know, take some stylistic risks. But I really loved his mm. work in this too, especially, you know, he has a beautiful scene towards the end of the film and he's opposite the three youngest actors in the movie, which is this hilarious little trio of girls who are so perfectly cast and do such a great job. Yes. And yeah, really surprisingly moving. Yeah, it was. it's a kind of great stroke of genius casting Tom Hanks because uh, I don't think he, you know, necessarily would be the first to come to mind for, you know, a Wes Anderson film. But yeah, true. it does sort of make sense when you sort of watch the movie unfold and some of the thematic elements of it. You know, he's so such a Americana actor in the way that someone like Jimmy Stewart was that seeing him in this sort of tableau that Wes Anderson's created, I think was really perfect. It's actually astonishing that an actor can still surprise you when they show up as an actor in a role and you think, Oh wow. Oh, Tom Hanks. Oh yeah. Okay. That's good. Cause you think you've seen him do and say everything that he possibly can. And he's a very well-respected and awarded actor. So you think, oh, that's, that's all good. He's just going to knock it out of the park. But when he, when he chooses to do something really different, it's quite refreshing. Yeah, totally. Um, it's not just like a, and this is no heat on, on, on Tom Cruise, I, who I, I really like Tom Cruise and act his movies. Like I'm a big fan of the action genre and, but you know, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise and everything like he's Ethan Hunt is in mission impossible in every one of his movies. And he has been, for decades like uh there's not all that much difference in huge chunks of his filmography he has made some great movies but you know tom hanks his his range is definitely definitely changing i think here and and doing some really cool stuff and also Mm. i just don't know why i compared tom hanks with tom cruise but we're just gonna go with it (laughs) (laughs) no i think that's fair i mean i think it like you know would be really interesting to see someone like tom cruise in a film like this i mean i would be fascinated to see that not because i don't think he could do it i definitely think he could exactly um, Mm. i yeah it's just that different thing of like yeah it's interesting you know particularly because wes anderson is tending to use actors that we have you know really strong connections with through their film work that sort of meta element is always coming into play which i think is particularly in this film obviously very deliberate but i think he is very Mm -hmm. knowing about using our pre-established relationships with these actors to sort of influence how we're interacting with the characters i think it's really smart casting is there any other piece of casting that you really want to call out you thought yes that was just delightful their performance i mean we we could literally andrew we could literally be here for an hour going through the cast so we kind of have to kill our darlings yeah i'm not sure (laughs) i mean honestly i don't really think there was a bad performance at all I loved seeing Hope Davis, who's a character actress that I feel like I haven't seen in a while. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed yes. her brief appearance. And I enjoy Tilda Swinton, of course. Can't go Always. wrong there. Give that woman an, another Oscar nomination. Like I I, <laughs> I was, b- before we started recording, I was like, has she ever won an Oscar? How many has she been nominated for? So I jumped on IMDb and I was shocked to learn, was she, well, she has not shocked to learn that she'd won, that shocked that she'd only been nominated once and won once for Michael Clayton, which is a great performance. But I'm thinking, my gosh, she shows up. She shows up every (laughs) time. Well, you have to start the campaign, Tim. And I'm like, where are the accolades? (laughs) Honestly. 
It's next on my to-do list. Get the hashtag going. Oh, yeah. I wonder what it could be. <laughs> Tilda Swinton Oscars or something like that. Anyway, well, I'll put some uh, food, put food some for thought. Put some thought into that, yeah. <laughs> put some thought into that. It's actually a shit hashtag that came up with on a whim. I mean, it isn't 2012 anymore. I think you can be relieved of the hashtag, Judy. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. You're just making me feel so old, you bastard. <laughs> um, yes, I still talk in hashtag. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well better help can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Tags. Let's talk about the, the visual language of, of this movie. Somehow, I'm always just so shocked at how beautiful he brings his movies together and it's very apparent just how much time and collaboration that it takes to, to deliver these things. Uh, I was just absolutely in awe of the scene that we introduced to Asteroid City with that gorgeous single take tracking shot on a rotating 360 camera rig and you're just discovering all the parts and pieces of this town or all, all the quirks all the nuances to it all all the comedy layers in there you just hold on the bridge that goes nowhere and the audience are laughing because it's just funny it's just this bridge that will never be completed and you and you move around and it's, you move on from that bridge but it, it's part of the character as well part of the whole vibe of the place and I just think it's just such a skill to be able to tell a story so perfectly visually and how he moves the camera. It's just a delight. It's always just so fun to see what, what he's going to do with the scene visually, isn't it? Completely. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's this interesting tension in the movie of a lot of it is in this beautiful, bright, uh, sun-kissed color, lots of mm. pastel greens and aquamarine. And then you have in the reality outside of the play, it's black and white. And so there's this sort of, you know, constant jumping between the two, but both, you know, are so formally uh, considered and crafted with such care. I think there were, you know, some like striking moments of lighting, like there's like a great sequence where they're all sitting outside underneath the sort of like rattan shade or something and yes. it creates these beautiful shadows all over them. And, you know, just like you mentioned before, yeah. really interesting inventive set design with, you know, vending machines and, you know, he has a love for, you know, models mm -hmm. and animation and that really comes into it in fun and surprising ways. And yeah, I think it's just always like amazing to see, you know, what he can sort of conjure up with the artists that he works with. Mm. And I really loved the sort of almost Looney Tunes, you know, like Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner sort of element to the setting of, you know, the titular Asteroid yes. City. It was such a like gorgeous place. It made you want to go to the like, you know, theme park equivalent of it. It was so beautifully constructed. And I think like 
I, I, you know, I just enjoy a director that embraces artificiality and I'm curious, you know, maybe, Mm. you know, with the success of this film and also, as we mentioned before, Barbie, whether there'll be a rise Mm. in, you know, a sort of uh, more directors wanting to embrace old school film techniques and, you know, build films using, you know, those tried and true methods of painted backdrops and detailed Mm. uh, models that are stand-ins for big wide shots. Um, I love that level of inventiveness and I love movies that acknowledge that, you know, this is a considered frame, you know, we've designed this. I like it when they don't shy away from that. And maybe that's just my personal taste, but I enjoy seeing the craft on display. Oh gosh, so do I. I'll, I'll share that with you, that, that taste and love of practical filmmaking, because it elevates anything above what CGI or green screen, blue screen could ever possibly do. And I didn't, I didn't love Barbie. I'm in that minutia of people that aren't absolutely blowing smoke out the ass of that film. (laughs) Um, But, but visually I was, I was so arrested by it and I was Mm. so impressed. And I thought there, there is nothing visually about that movie that I would ever let my uh, quarrels and quandaries with the story impact that because it's just astonishing and hats off to Greta and her team. And, and same with Wes, like you are right. There are, there are visual synergies between those two films and it's, it's something about a Wes Anderson film is somehow he manages to balance intimate storytelling within visual scale, mm. which, which is such a skill because like all the mountains and the, and the boulders and the rocks, like all that stuff in asteroid city was constructed there's there was very little green screen used and and a lot of uh, forced perspective by the dop and, and the production designer you know working together on that it's just you think oh where is this town because it somehow feels real and tangible but heightened and kind of fantastical so i'm pretty sure it doesn't exist but like it is all there physically and i can just imagine how wonderful it would be as an actor to stand in that space and create within that space because mm. I don't know how you could endure filming an Avatar movie for like five <laughs> years and never see anything other than the fucking dots on your face mm. and and some bloody blue screens around. Like that, it's actually astonishing that actors can exist and create in that space as well, but I, I think it would just be incredibly challenging surely totally Andrew what about we wrap up our take on Wes Anderson's Asteroid City uh, with a little summation of how we thought and then I'd love to learn your rating out of five popcorn kernels if you can so indulge me with that yeah of course (laughs) I think on the whole I hopefully have communicated this but I really really loved this movie and I honestly didn't expect Mm -hmm. to and that I think is what I've sort of been saying to a few people is that I maybe was going into this with a bit of uh, Wes Anderson fatigue or something, kind of very quickly into this movie, I really settled into it, the gear that it was operating in and was really taken by it. And I honestly haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it and I'm really looking forward mm. to revisiting it. So I would highly recommend people go and check this out. I think, you know, at worst, you'll enjoy the incredible production and costume design that Wes always delivers. But I do think there is a lot more going on in this movie and I think it has really interesting things to say about some of the bigger themes in life like mm. death and existentialism and love and <laughs> I think it does it in really inventive ways yeah all the fun stuff yeah. so I definitely think it would be probably a can you do half a popcorn kernel because I reckon four and a half 
popcorn kernels oh, from me. Half. Wow. You know, maybe it's a bit mean Wonderful. to hold off that extra half, but um, I think I'd love to just, you know, see where this film settles for me over time and before I, you know, maybe resort to calling it a five out of five popcorn <laughs> kernel masterpiece. But um, uh, I was really taken with it, basically. Um, what about you, Tim? Yeah, look, look, I'll, I'll allow that, the, the half, and then you can decide whether you want to pop that half kern a little bit more in the <laughs> microwave because that's the beauty of revisiting cinema, isn't it? Uh, at one point in your life to another, I love re-watching movies in any sort of cadence, be it a, a year later or even 20 years later in some instances because I'm now getting that old where it's like, oh, I haven't seen that movie in 20 years. Let's throw that back on, fuck me. Um, so, And then you, you take something different about it. Well, um, <laughs> so for... <laughs> So, okay, so once again, Wes Anderson has delivered a visual triumph in Asteroid City, but it is his inward personal examination of complex family relationships, new romance, parents versus children, in this case, secrets, discoveries and mysteries that all combine to make a beautiful emotional internal balance that no one can strike better than Wes Anderson. A big screen and big heart feast for audiences. I'm going to rate it for Popcorn Kernels out of five. That's my little take. Yes, I love it. Well, Asteroid City is in Australian cinemas from August 10. And that's it for another episode of Popcorn Pals. I was joined by Andrew Fraser, uh, freelance film critic. Andrew, where can people find you and your work out there on the internets and and all that stuff? Well, I'm on Twitter while it still exists or X or or whatever the hell it's called now. Do we call it X Yeah, I don't know. But my, you know, username on that is uh, Andrew JT Fraser and I post a lot of vague random movie thoughts on there as well as sharing some pieces of film criticism. But also Instagram is also a good place to find me at andrew.fraser. But otherwise, I don't know, maybe you'll hear me on another episode of this or on the radio or wherever. I don't know, I'll pop up in random places too. So (laughs) we'll see. But thank you so much for having me, Tim. Of course. I, I've had so much fun having you on. I It's been one of those things where like in this new format with Lee on maternity leave and be kind of like hustling with this um, spinoff is that I can invite people that I admire, people that I talk about and have relationships with about movies. And it's just, it's so exciting. And I'm so thrilled to have you on. And I'm glad that it was for a movie that resonated with you so much as well. Maybe the next one is, it's also really fun to talk about a movie <laughs> that you hate. Uh, so I might, uh, we might talk offline to see what, what <laughs> movie in the future you think you might hate and we'll bring you on. <laughs> that sounds good. I'd love to. Great. Well, as always, thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Alexa, and where all good podcasts are found. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.